Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. we got a full show for you today. We're going to start with a Hey Mary Kay segment of the podcast. Mary Kay Cabot is here with me now. And then Lance Reisland is going to join me in a little bit. He's going to walk through what he saw on the tape in the Browns' win over the 49ers. But, Mary Kay, let's get right to it. We're going to start with this question from TJ in Akron. Hey, Mary Kay, let's play Overreaction Monday. Okay, this is from Monday. So we're going to play Overreaction Tuesday and look ahead. Assuming the Browns go at least one and one in the next two games, are there must-have moves by the trade deadline? And what is the priority? Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know that they're clamoring for anything, but the things that I would be looking for. I would be out there looking for a receiver. Again, I don't think they're clamoring necessarily for any of these things, but I would be trying to find the fire sales on a really good wide receiver. I think they need one more really good weapon um, for Deshaun Watson. I just think, um, you know, the Elijah Moore experience hasn't come to fruition yet. It's not that it won't, uh, but that hasn't worked out yet the way that they want it to. Of course, they haven't really gotten the passing game rolling in earnest yet. I keep saying this over and over. They've got one touchdown pass to a wide receiver so far this season through five games, and that's Amari Cooper. So they haven't even really gotten David Njoku going. They haven't gotten, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones going, Elijah Moore. And of course, they have not had their starting quarterback for the past two games. So let's reserve judgment on the passing game until he gets back and we see if he's healthy and how that arm is working. Um, But that, you know, that's been an issue. And I think if they really want to go somewhere. They need one other good receiver. I've mentioned Jerry Judy uh, from the Broncos. I have no idea. I know they liked him in March. He was a player they thought about trading for in March when they, they didn't pull the trigger on that because it was going to cost you know more compensation and more money. And they went with Elijah Moore. Um, so he's somebody I think to keep an eye on, but I didn't even see it. I guess Steve Smith just ripped him. Uh, on social media last week, and I've got to go back and look at that. I don't know if he's a bad teammate or what the deal is there, but the Browns were interested in him in March. And sometimes when you're interested in a guy months ago, you circle back. So that's one that I'm at least going to keep an eye on. Uh, But there might be other fire sales like that, and I would be going out and finding a weapon for Deshaun. Of course, you know, and I think you 100% agreed with me, I thought they should have signed uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, You know, maybe he has lost a, a step, But I still think that supplying Deshaun with somebody like that, that he feels really super comfortable with, would have been uh, a wise decision. I don't even know how DeAndre's been doing so far this season. I I haven't had as much time with this injury, Deshaun injury, to study up on everything else going on around the NFL. But a couple weeks ago, I remember hearing his name a little bit, and it seemed like he was having a good game. And I think he probably would, would fare pretty well with Deshaun. Not saying he's an option anymore. I'm just saying that... I feel like they need another good receiver. I would be looking for that. I would also be in the market for a veteran backup quarterback because you know what? They don't really know how Deshaun's arm is going to hold up for the rest of this season. It is the largest muscle that is being affected, the largest rotator cuff muscle that has this deep contusion in it. Hopefully for him and for the Browns, it's just a bruise that heals and then and he'll be wonderful this week. And he, you know, maybe he'll go out and he'll play against the Colts and he'll feel perfectly fine. And he will ride off into the sunset and he won't have any pain when he hoists the Lombardi trophy in February. So hopefully for them, that's the way that this goes. And hopefully for Browns fans, that's the way that this goes. But you never know. You never know. And because you never know, I think they should find a veteran 
backup who has been out there and has won some games for them. I mean, look at what the Colts are going through right now, right? Anthony Richardson, their rookie quarterback, their first round pick, is probably going to be out for the entire season. And they can turn to a backup who has started a bunch of games and who can keep you competitive. And I think the Browns have needed that from day one, especially in this high stakes season. Okay, yes, they do like DTR. They like him a lot. But is he ready to go out there and play three games for you and, and win them? I don't know. I, I don't think so. And the same thing with PJ. You can't have those two guys through five interceptions in two weeks, and it should have been six, okay? Uh, PJ got really, really lucky in this game. The Browns had luck. Lady Luck was smiling upon them in this football game. They were so lucky to get out of there with that victory because PJ almost threw an interception in the end zone on, on his final drive. And then, of course, we know that Jake Moody missed that kick. But I think that they should go out and find themselves a veteran backup quarterback who has been through the wars and you can count on. Running back, you know, I don't see them doing a, a running back. I, you know, I think they feel pretty good about Jerome, and now Kareem is contributing more. So I'm, I'm not feeling that one as much. Um, then I think, if anything, they might actually try to trade away a few commodities where they feel like they can get some draft pick compensation in return. So that's something to keep an eye on, too. Yeah, so, I, you know, you, you kind of made the offhand remark about Deshaun raising the Lombardi trophy. Uh, but, you know, look, I think that's kind of the crux of this discussion. This defense so far has been really good. Like, this is a championship-level mm-hmm. defense. I don't mm-hmm. think we'll see how the, how the rest of the year goes. But through five games, this is a championship-level defense. Mm-hmm. And that should create a sense of urgency for this football team. And that should create a sense of we need to be prisoners of the moment in some ways and go for this. Uh, you know, they've got... $34 million in cap space. Now I know that that is some of that is allocated to kind of carry over and roll over. And because mm-hmm. they've got some massive cap hits coming down the road, including Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. Amari Cooper. I mean, they had just have massive cap hits coming. So they need to keep rolling over this cap space. That said, it might not be a terrible idea. If you think it can push you over the top to go out and use some of that cap space now. Mm-hmm. And try to add to this. I'm not saying go bring in a $20 million guy, but if you can use that fifth round pick you got for Josh Dobbs or some of these other extra picks you have late to add to this roster, I think you have to do it. If you think this defense is that good. Well, look at what the 49ers did last year. They traded for Christian McCaffrey and it really transformed that football team. He is the engine that makes that offense go for the most part. Of course, they also have Debo Samuel and Brock has played well up until Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. Um, but Christian McCaffrey was the difference maker for them. And if you think that there's a player out there who can get you over to the top, he, I mean, he led them to the NF- NFC championship game last year. If you think there's a player out that, there that can play that role for you, that can be that missing piece to the puzzle, now you know what the puzzle is. And in two more football games, you're going to have a better handle on it. You will know exactly where you stand as a football team, not exactly where you stand, because I think it's going to be a fight to the finish in the AFC North, and it's going to be a fight for those wild card spots till the end. But you'll have a pretty good idea if you have a chance to win the Super Bowl. And right now, as you said, the defense can win you a Super Bowl. Not by itself. 
you have to have some things happening on offense as well. You can't be turning the ball over. You've got to be able to run the ball and you have to be getting some touchdown passes. You got to be be able to score the football. Um, but it is a championship caliber defense for sure. And I would 100% add to the offensive pass catcher pile. Now, having said that real quick, they really do hope that Elijah is going to get more involved. They hope that David Njoku is going to get more involved. But until you know that for sure that that's going to happen, why not go out and get yourself a shiny new toy? And that's part of being a GM too, right? Like a GM has to, has to think long-term and Andrew is very good at thinking long-term and you always have to plan ahead. And the goal is to have the window open for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also why you go out and get a franchise quarterback like Deshaun Watson and you hope he becomes that guy again, because that just increases how long your window is open. But a good GM also has to know this is a moment. Like this is, this is the opportunity, the less need, <laughs> you know, he, he kind of realized, hey, this could be our moment. Let's go all in and go for this. And it's going to be up to Andrew Barry to kind of decide, is this it? Is this year the moment? Or do I still kind of want to play the long game here and see if we can be legitimate Super Bowl contenders for the next four to five years, which is always a roll of the dice when you think that far down the road in the NFL. But that's that's part of a GM. You have to be long-term focused, but understand when it's time to pounce and go all in and make that move. Which the Browns have done to some extent, by the way, already. they have. But it is time to pounce. I mean, this is it. This is, as I've said many times before, the prize pig to take to the fair. And this is it. This is the defense. The defense is probably never going to get much better than it is at this moment, right? I mean, it is so good that unless you added another like completely proven crazy good pass rusher that's going to get you another for sure double digit sacks somewhere on that defensive line it's not going to get much better than what you're seeing right now so this is the moment this is it you've got Deshaun Watson and as long as his shoulder is okay and I went back and did a little bit of research too um Drew Brees had a bruised rotator cuff in 2015. He came back. He was fine. He went on to have a long and wonderful many more years. So as long as it is just a bruised rotator cuff and there's no little tears or anything in there, he should be able to come back and be fine. So yes, this is seize the moment time. And um, I think in the next two games, especially if Deshaun is back and feeling pretty good, I think you will have a better handle on how this passing game is going to function. And if it seems like you need something else, then you got to go out and you got to get something else. And again, I don't know if that's Jerry Judy because I haven't done enough of my own due diligence on that yet. I have to find out what the rap against him is. I'd have to, I gotta, I have to go look at what the draft pick compensation would be. I have to look at what the, um, you know, what the money would be, but he's young. I think he's 24. I think he's 24. I act like I can't look things up. I always make you do it for me. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, he's he's a young guy. I mean, people have mentioned De- Devontae Adams, but he's 30. Jerry Judy's 24. So if you're going to make a draft pick investment and you're going to make a financial investment in a guy, you want him to be 24. So if if everything else is good, then why why not do that? Why not do that? So that's definitely something uh, that I would be looking to do. And yes, this is the year 
where you should be expected to win a Super Bowl. I mean, they just beat the San Francisco 49ers. They've proven they can do it. I mean, the Eagles proved to be beatable yesterday. So it can be done, and the Browns can do it. Yeah, and, and look, it's an any given Sunday league, right? And so you mm-hmm. just get to the tournament, anything can happen. Right. Um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll kind of see. I was looking up Jerry Judy's age, and then my computer kind of froze up on me, so I'm doing it right now. Yeah, he's 24. He turned 24 in April. Right. Um, so yeah, still a very young guy. I believe this is the final year of his contract. Uh, just no, he was picked in the first round. So. I'd have to look up fifth year option, option yeah. stuff. So we'd have to look um, that kind of I don't know if up. they picked that up or not. But anyway, the point is, yes, he's still young. That's the answer to the to the question there. Yeah. Uh, okay. You mentioned Kareem Hunt, and I think this is an interesting question from the Pope in sunny Fremont, California. Um, I'm going to sum it up here just this way. Hey, Mary Kay, should the Browns consider making Kareem Hunt their lead back going forward? You know, I think it's, once again, it's a game of matchups. So if you feel like you need the big bruiser, you're going to go with Kareem. If you feel like you need more of the speedy, shifty guy, you're going to go with Jerome Ford. And they make a nice one-two punch. So I don't know that I would necessarily make Kareem the lead back. I think it was effective yesterday, Sunday, to kind of start with him and provide that change up. And then bring in Jerome and let him then kind of get hot and get rolling. I thought that was very effective. And Kevin Stefanski's case taking a bunch of heat, again, for coaching. But I think that was one of the really good things that he did, is that they hit him with Kareem, and then they then they hit him with Jerome. And it was effective. So, no, I'm going to say go with the matchups and then go with the hot hand. Okay, I want to get back to this. But you said something there that I want to follow up on. Like, am I – crazy like i i know that kevin has been getting heat and i was kind of listening to the the morning show this morning i had to drop 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 my son off at school um and i guess they (laughs) i saw a tweet that one of the the radio hosts on 92.3 was going to stop taking calls because people kept calling for kevin's fans to get fired i i still think kevin coached a pretty good game on sunday it wasn't perfect but and and i've certainly been critical of kevin over the last year or two I thought he was fine. I thought, I mean, what he they put together a game plan with P.J. Walker, no Joel Batonio. They don't have Nick Chubb and Jack Conklin, and they won that game. Now, I know the defense was a huge part of that, and that's Jim Schwartz's side of the ball, but I didn't have a lot of big issues with Kevin. Am I missing something? No, I didn't really either. I mean, of course, when you get to the end of the game, uh, you know, you could probably uh, have issues with a few of the things that went on at the end of the game. Um, but for the most part, I thought he handled it really well. You're talking about PJ Walker out there. You're talking about, uh, the third ranked run defense. Um, you know, I liked the, um, the play call on the touchdown run by Kareem Hunt. That was a cool call. Again, we see some of those things on Fridays. We get to watch that cool stuff. We don't get to tweet about it. We don't get to write about it before the game, but we see them creating these, uh, goal line plays. And that was a really good one. And it went. Uh, pretty much exactly how you would want it to go. He got the good blocks from DPJ and Jed Wills. And, um, you know, and, and that was just a really nice play. Only touchdown of the game. So, yeah, I think I think he did a, a lot of things. Of course, um, you know, there are some things that he, I'm sure he would want 
back and we would know exactly what those things are if we examined them and they lost the game. We would be chewing all over those things. But they won the game, and part of the reason they won the game is because I thought he he did a really nice job. And I, I mean, look, I think he outcoached Kyle. I, I think Kyle's a guy we all like, and, and I think there's there certainly haven't been a ton of games where we've been able to necessarily say that um, when he's gone up against one of these really big-name coaches. But I thought, I mean, I, I had more issues with the way Kyle handled some of the end-of-game stuff there than I did with anything Kevin did on, on Sunday. I guess I just, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I still don't have the answers on Kevin, whether he's absolutely the guy or not. I don't know, but I I don't think Sunday was a case against him. Anyway, let's go back to Kareem Hunt in the run game. Is this just sort of a case, and you mentioned the matchup thing, where it's like there isn't necessarily a lead back. It's just kind of, like you said, whatever they need. You know what? I, I think that um, that they consider Jerome Ford their lead back. and But again, they're going to go with... Um, what is it? What's the saying? Styles make fights. Is that what it is? That's it. <laughs> Nailed it. And and I just think that this was a situation where they felt that Kareem Hunt uh, was was going to pack the most wallop right out of the gate. And I think it was an effective strategy and it was something different. They changed it up. That's what you do when you have a bye week. You know, you go back, you look at things and they change things up. Does that mean that Kareem Hunt is going to start every single game? I, I don't think so. I think they still feel really good about Jerome Ford. And he did really come through in this game. And he ended up having, um, obviously, that long 22-yarder at the end of the game. That was extremely helpful. Um, but overall, he had 84 yards uh, for 4.9 average against a team that hasn't allowed a 100-yard rusher in like 32 games or something, maybe even more than that. Um, so he did a nice job and then, um, you know, and Kareem did a nice job as well. So I think that, um, I'm going to say that Jerome is still their lead back and they will just change it up as needed. Okay. Another question here. Um, this comes from Mavro in Columbus. Um, and this has to do with Jedrick Wills. We always get Jedrick Wills questions, of course. Hey, Mary Kay, Jedrick Wills was a great right tackle in college. Should it be considered, if not this year, but in the spring, flip-flopping him and Dewan Jones? Sure, why not? Um, you know, I know Dewan Jones aspires to be the Browns' starting left tackle. He is establishing himself as uh, quite the force in pass blocking. He's doing a really, really nice job. And it's still so funny to me to sometimes look down on the field and see how big he is. I mean, he is just so big. What an enormous human being he is. And he's doing a really nice job. Um, And, you know, he told me when I interviewed him one-on-one that he is chasing Joe Thomas's legacy. That means left tackle, the premier position in the NFL. So that's what he wants. And, you know, it's getting to the point where what did Juan Jones wants at some point he's going to get? Because I think he's going to be that good. He was supposed to be a first rounder. I think now we can all kind of see why. And he's got the want to. And that's important. And if Jed can now get his brain turned back around and move back over to the right side, you know, why not? I, I would try it. It's, it's definitely worth exploring. And if that works out really well then maybe you have a long-term answer on that side of the ball to Jack Conklin. So why not? Why not try it and, and see what you get? Maybe even try it this year, depending on what happens, you know? 
I mean, if they're either rolling along, I mean, maybe you could even try it, you know, for parts of a game, but I definitely think it's worth exploring and it could breathe new life into Jed Wills. I think you need, at least need to find out, like if Jed Mm -hmm. can move back over to the right side and play over there, maybe, maybe it's just an issue of he's not quite to the level you thought he was going to be when he was the number 10 pick on either side of the ball um, or on either side of the line. But I think you need to find out mm-hmm. if, if he's not going to be, if you don't feel comfortable with him as your long-term left mm-hmm. tackle. And I, at this point, I don't know how you can feel comfortable to Jack Conklin. You know, he, he just keeps getting hurt, unfortunately. And I really like Jack and I still think he's really good when he's on the field, but they have to make a decision there with him now. And, and I haven't looked up the guaranteed money on that extension or anything like that. But, you know, they're going to have to make some decisions. It's at least worth a shot. Let's see if Jed can kind of reclaim some of what he what made him a top 10 pick in the first place if you move him to the right side. And listen, we were cautious with Dewan Jones in the preseason. We didn't want to anoint him a Hall of Famer off of some great preseason reps. But he's carried it over into the regular season, and it looks really good right now. It really does. It really does. And I'm sure you watched some of those um, Baldy's breakdowns by Brian Baldinger. He's been high on, um, what's his name again? What's the Marvel, um, the oh, Marvel the, hero? It's, yeah, uh, uh, Thanos. Thanos. Thanos yes. is a bad guy, though, I think. Well, DeWand is Something a bad like guy. Something like that. <laughs> is a bad guy on the field. He really is. Big Thanos is tearing it up out there and good for him. Uh, I really like this young man. He's a very cool guy. Really, really, really cool human being. Um, I've told the story several times, I think, on this podcast when I just kept seeing him sit by himself in the Browns lobby in the middle of training camp in the middle of the day, sitting by himself, eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I asked him, what are you doing out here all by yourself? I just want to get away from it all. Just want to be by myself. A lot of noise. I just need to be alone for a little bit. And I'm like, oh, well, then you're probably happy I'm bothering you. <laughs> but um, but anyways, he's, he's a real cool guy, and he's doing a really, really nice job. And the, the important thing about Dewan is that he wants it. He wants to be great. If you're going to sit there and say that you are chasing the legacy of Joe Thomas, well, you've got to back that up. You can't say that unless you are going to put your heart and soul into this job, and he's doing it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, we've all had some interactions with him, and he, he seems like a pretty down-to-earth guy. Um, you know, and maybe going in the fourth round was good for him. Um, but, yeah, that might end up going down as one of Andrew Barry's best picks. We'll see where this how this all plays out. But he is an absolute monster out there. And it's not just the size, the footwork. It, it just seems like everything is there for him to to really be great. Yes, and, and it... It's so cool because people questioned whether or not uh, he was going to love football enough. And I did talk to him about that a little bit, too. And he, was, and he said, you know, I just took all of that passion that I had for basketball and I just funneled it right into football. I just moved it right over to this sport. And so he's he's got it. He's he's incredibly competitive and he's using his resources. He's talked to Joe Thomas. Uh, he's got excellent, excellent coaches in Bill Callahan and Scott Peters and he's watching film and I think he's going to be here for a long, long time. And as he told me, he wants to make the other 31 general managers in the NFL regret that they passed on him. 
Okay, there we go. Uh, a bonus Hey Mary Kay segment here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're going to take a break on the other side. Lance Reisland is going to join us to tell us all about what he saw in the Browns win over the 49ers. Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. As promised, I'm now joined by Lance Reisland to look back on the Browns win over the 49ers. Before we start, though, Lance, you texted me and Ashley and Mary Kay, and you felt like the Browns had a chance in this game. You liked you liked this matchup. So, I mean, before we get into it, this is your opportunity. The floor is yours for your victory lap here. In fact, did you pick the Browns to win? I can't remember if you picked them on Thursday. We do so many picks, I can't remember. No, actually, I, I picked him first when you when we talked last week. I picked him. We did a little early pick, and then I, you guys thought I was a little bit, maybe it was you know a little bit crazy. And then I, uh, I just because Watson was, we weren't sure about Watson at that point in time. And then I said I still thought it was going to be super close. I took the uh, 49ers twenty three, I think twenty three twenty or twenty three seventeen or something like that, just because I didn't know if they'd be able to generate enough offense. But yes, yes. I thought I, I tell you what, I, I was very confident in terms of how they would play defense. And they and they uh, they're legit defensively. This is a big trust your remember to trust your gut week, right? It's like the the first answer, whatever you yep. think the answer is on the multiple choice test, trust it. Like you and I both had that kind of gut feeling, but neither of us, when the time came to actually put our picks down, neither of us actually were were willing to go that far. But we didn't think, you know, I, I will say other people I had picked thought it wasn't going to be close. Now I'm going to not mention anybody's names because, you know, that's not fair. And I consider you guys all friends, but no, I'm just kidding. I was I, just the ability, you know what? And I, there were some mistakes made in terms of play calling and in terms of Walker, but I thought he hung in there. I thought the plan was great. Like I was telling you before we started, they did some, Stefanski did some things run game wise he's never done. They did a really good job of figuring out a way to win. And everybody's been saying, you know, other teams start backups. And this is a third string guy that's been there 10, 12 days against that defense. I thought they did some good things. They hung in there. And that defense, like I said, is uh, that's why you get so high on them because that defense is really simple and fast and, and they're really good. Okay, so we'll get to the run game, but I do want to start on that defensive side of the ball. Obviously, that's the the big story here off of this game. And you know, we talked so much about the eye candy and what San Francisco does. So what was Jim Schwartz's plan? Why was he so effective after that first drive of just making sure San Francisco wasn't able to take advantage of a lot of that stuff? Well, we talked about it last week, and then when I when we texted each other, you said, you know, what they do, the motions. And I went back, and I just watched all the motions without the play. And I tell you what, he had a really cool plan. He did three things. First thing he did was they had Newsom uh, run with speed, so receiver on receiver. And if you go back, I actually went back and watched a little bit of his Philadelphia days, just try to see if it was the same thing. And one thing he never does is he really never bumps uh, a speed guy to like a, a strong safety linebacker type. So that's really important in terms of bumping. So Newsom was running early. They got hit with a couple jet sweeps, but not a big deal. Later in the game, they would bump it. So they have that versatility we talked about. They had the ability to bump it. So one time um, Ward was on one, Jen- Jennings went in motion, McLeod picked him up, they stayed in it. So occasionally they would um, chase it. Then they would bump it, but simple bumps. And then what I really like, though, is some of the window dressing they do inside with uh, Yurchek and uh, uh, Kittle and those guys inside. If it wasn't a skill guy, they just bumped it. And what was really, really good about that is that when you don't run with motion inside like that, inside the box, your run fits stay true. 
So you're not giving up gaps because of motion and things like that. So they had an eight-man box. They would motion. They still had an eight-man box. It just switched, switched roles from left to right. And that goes back to that Jim Schwartz versatility, simple. Everybody has a rule. Everybody, you know, you have to be able to play multiple positions. And what that does is that you get a team, and I know you and I talked about it last week. This is the defense that for a San Francisco team because man, they're in man coverage, so it's not going to kill them too much. They bump speed to speed or they chase it. And then inside, what I thought was that you really got a good look at, like I said, they just – they just bumped it to – so Delpit would bump it, you know, bump it over to, uh, you know, Martin Emerson or uh, McLeod or whoever they – you know, whatever they wanted to do. They, it didn't matter. JOK because they have – all those second-level guys are good. So really good plan. And that's kind of what they work on, though. That's not really a plan for San Francisco. That's this scheme, which, again, not to go any longer, but that's why they're good. They're repping it. They're doing it. They're doing it every day. So let's spend a little more time on JOK. Um, this feels like just eyeball test, one of the best games I've seen him play. Um, and to me, it just goes back to like what we've talked about with these linebackers. Like they're not asking JOK to be Fred Warner. They're not asking him to be like all pro, be the best linebacker in the league. All, they're asking him to just make the plays that are there in front of him. And I thought, you know, we've seen him make some some splash plays this season, some run stops, sniffing out screens, things like that. It feels like he's really free to just play downhill. And it, it's really starting to fit him well. And it resulted in, in what I thought was one of the best games I've seen him play. So I went back and I just took my notes down from Sunday and you know, the notes I wrote, I wrote six notes like quickly, but they basically said incredibly instinctive, uh, explosive, violent to the ball collision guy. So he's not a guy who gets there and is trying to make a tackle. He's trying to make a collision, which allows him to get those big hits. Um, You know, at times he's unconventional. So when you think about like last year and I, and once again, I'm not an anti woods guy. I just think the scheme fits these guys better. And what you see is that last year, so if you, you know, you and I had talked about those double teams and technically he's supposed to read the double team and, you know, who's got what gap and et cetera, et cetera. There's so many teaching things, Bill Belichick style where there's, well, there's not any of that now. So last year, when you see him sitting there, this year, he's not sitting there. This year, he's moving forward. He might take it on with the wrong arm. He might go in the wrong gap. He might do some things that are kind of unconventional that you could tell Schwartz is letting him do. He's saying go play. He's saying go play as fast as you can. And I've said it before, again, our, you know, part of our t-shirt stuff we always talk about, but it, you know, he, if you're, if you're, if your head is thinking, your feet aren't moving. And that's what happened with so many of these guys last year. And you're seeing it. None of them are thinking right now. They're all just playing with their hair on fire and it's kind of fun to watch, but that's what you're getting. Instinctual running to the football fast uh, together um, not worried about making mistakes, et cetera. So it's just fun to watch. And that's what you called it. He's just, the eye test is just, he's all over the place right now. Let's talk real quickly. This is not a guy I prepared you for, but I think he's pretty easy to talk about from this game. Let's talk a little bit about Dalvin Tomlinson. Um, Cause you texted us during the game. Like he was, he was awesome in this game. This was a game where it felt like this is why you went out and paid Dalvin Tomlinson a bunch of money. Um, he played great. And you, again, you're seeing, how these defensive tackles who struggled so much. And now obviously Tomlinson was not here last year, but even Jordan Elliott is, is having some success in this game. We're seeing these defensive tackles have success. So it feels like it's that combination of a clear talent upgrade, but also that scheme is working too. 
Well, yeah, you think about like Siaki Ika at a, at a lower level. Hopefully they get him to that point. But it, you, I remember sitting with you. It was like the second day of camp. And I remember we were watching. We were standing there. And you just got done with your interviews. And we were doing whatever we were doing. And we were watching. We were over on the other field. And Tomlinson, he's just such a big man, right? He's like equally in width, his height, and he's muscular. And what he does is that Schwartz like gets those guys in the gap. And they don't have to read as much. And now he can two-gap it if you want. He can take on multiple double teams. But even him, he gets to get in a gap. And Obviously, when they put Oboe or Smith or Miles down at that three technique and he's at the other side, he's the forgotten guy. And he's the guy who's anchoring in there in the run game. But he's also creating pressure because of his size and because he's getting in a gap. And they are causing such issues right now in terms of if you watch the film, every snap, they are three yards deep on every snap, the entire defensive line, because they're not reading anything. They're taking their gap and they're going, and he's benefiting from that. But, yeah, he's the guy. He's the anchor in there. He's always heavy in there. He's the guy you can't move on rundowns. The other guys get to freelance a little bit more, but he's that true three technique, uh, massive guy, great with his hands. He's heavy in a gap, uh, takes on doubles if they try to. But you don't even – if you watch, you don't even get to double-team these guys too much. They're too upfield, too fast. Okay, let's flip to the offensive side of the ball, and we got to talk about this run game. This is the best the run game looked since the Nick Chubb injury. Um, It was – coming into the bye and coming out of the bye, the thing we were talking about was get the run game fixed, figure it out. And you saw some things Sunday that make you feel like this team spent that bye week figuring this thing out. Well, yeah, you know, so first thing is they're committed to it. And we know Stefanski, that's that's a struggle for him. And I get it because I like to throw the football a bunch too when I was coaching. It's fun to throw the football. But they had 34 runs of 34 passes. And that's that's pretty good, pretty good balance in terms of even, they, you know, sticking with it when it didn't run. But what you saw uh, with the the run game was he had eighty uh, Ford had eighty four yards I think on yeah seventeen carries and and I thought Kareem Hunt started to get his legs back you know his football legs back he had I think almost fifty yards twelve carries forty seven yards so they starting to get there but what you're seeing is that Stefanski is a creature of habit so he runs pin and pull he runs counter he runs zone variations of all those but that's his foundation what you saw was they took that bye week and they said all right. What did, what did the Ravens do to us? What did Todd Munkin do to us? And what Todd Munkin did, he let those guys get upfield a little bit, and then he trapped them and whammed them. And for the first time in two years, I saw David Njoku come down and trap and wham a three technique inside uh, the big run by Ford. That was actually a sucker pull where Teller pulled to the right. Uh, Kinlaw came up field like he was unblocked, and Teller just uh, 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 done, just blocked him out, and they get up to the second level. So you saw some of those adjustments from Stefanski saying, you know what? We don't have Nick Chubb. And you said it before the podcast. Nick Chubb is one of the few backs in the NFL that he's like a franchise quarterback. He changes and makes everything easy. You know, you can run just a couple schemes because he'll he's going to make it work anyway. Now that I think he's I think they're realizing that these guys are good and they're but you're going to have to scheme it a little bit more. You're going to have to say, all right, San Francisco is their defense is very similar to the Browns. Get upfield, be aggressive, get these guys. And they and they played off that. And I thought that was a fantastic adjustment saying, you know what? We can't just continue to do what we're doing. We've got to make some adjustments. And I, I thought it was fantastic. That, that's why it worked. They stayed with it. They ran it 34 times and they, they made some and they kind of played off what, what San Francisco did and, and used it to their advantage. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you just have to scheme it up a little more with these backs. Um, not that you didn't have to scheme it up with Chubb, but it was just these backs aren't going to do what Nick Chubb could do. There was a run on Sunday. I was sitting next to Hayden Grove, who uh, does our social media, and he watched a run and said, you know, Nick Chubb probably would have taken that for a big game because Ford kind of just missed a cutback. I don't remember exactly what play it was, but it was a cutback that, you know, you know, 
Chubb would have put his foot in the ground and turned it into a 10, 15 yard gain. You do lose something without Chubb, but you can scheme up things for Jerome Ford and for Kareem Hunt to where you can run the football effectively like they did on Sunday. Well, you know, and, and, and that's a great point. So now they kind of got to go back to almost like, you know, like what most pro teams, but even if you go down to the college and high school level, now they're going to have, you're right. Now they got to find a three technique that they like to double team. Maybe there's a backer they want to run at. Maybe there's a guy who's good in coverage who, um, you know, on the edge doesn't like to tackle. So they're going to leave him unblocked and get to the safety because the safety is a good tackler. So now it's just taking, again, you can only run what you know. And Stefanski can make some adjustments and those guys up front are really good and Callahan's really good. But now you, now you start saying, all right, instead of just running the ball left, because, you know, you think you, you're, you're going to run it left or you're going to run it. Now you're saying we're going to attack the three technique. So the, now the check with me's are we're going to attack the three technique uh, wherever he's at. Or we're going to attack this particular player. Or if we get this coverage or things like that. So now it's a little more scheme based instead of player based. And I still think you can do good things because now your strength is up front and those guys are smart and they can make little, you know, little uh, little tweaks to what they're doing. But now you're right. Find a guy, find a linebacker, find a ski. You know, what What can you do successful within your run game? And that's what they're going to have to do. And they did that. And that was really impressive to me. OK, was there something else that really excited you from that game that I didn't say when you texted me today? What do we want to talk about? Was there something that really got you excited that, that you want to mention here? Yeah, well, I thought the I thought the receivers did a great job of making P.J. Walker's life a lot easier. I thought they made some great catches. I thought, um, I think, you know, it's kind of like one of those things as, as I start my Colts breakdown, um, you got to get Cooper the ball. And that means, you know, sometimes you got to throw it up into double coverage and sometimes you got to, you know, whatever it is. But I thought Walker did a really nice job because that's a lot of pressure on this type of team that has high expectations to come in and be, I thought his poise was great. I thought his leadership was great. He made some really bad throws and some, you know, terrible thing reads and stuff like that. But I thought his poise was great, but I thought the receivers, now I'm still worried about the depth of receivers, but I thought they did a, a better job of, uh, first of all, Stefanski and Walker getting the ball to Cooper. Um, but just those guys kind of all buying in, um, and then the other thing that impressed me was there was no – the Browns had no doubt they could win this football game. And offense, defense, special teams, they felt they could win the game. Uh, I really felt that, you know, everybody could talk outside the locker room, but really it only matters inside that locker room. And they truly believe they can win. So, yeah, I thought the receivers, you know, things that shocked me, the receivers I thought are getting – progressively better they got to find out what they're doing with more it's still kind of a, a work in progress but just their confidence level and, and the way they played and um you know the expectations moving forward now you gotta you know now you gotta not have a big drop off we'll talk about that more on thursday but that's kind of where they're at so i just thought they you know browns are browns can be a good football team but they can pe- uh, put this offense together a little bit okay before we go you got a question for me this week the uh the candy corn you- question well, I, yeah, two. I asked you earlier today, and you're not too. So maybe it is, but who? So I'll give you two options. One is the first option is what is what is your favorite scary movie of all time? But more importantly, if you don't like the movies, can I? Who's the number one movie villain of all time? That's you may have a list. Hmm. Just to, we need we got so you can get Mary Kay and Ashley with that one later. But who is it's either your favorite movie or like for me it's the Omen. Omen's the scariest okay. movie ever. And then I got to go with Michael Myers, but there's, there's so many other, you know, some people are new, like the new, the new villains, um, you know, I'm yeah. older, so I like the, you know, the Voorhees and Jason, all the kind of, but, <laughs> so there's your, there's your choices. And, you know, we'll talk, you know, you can shoot me a text or we'll talk about it Thursday, but your choices are best villain or best scary movie. 
Well, okay. So I told you I'm not a huge scary movie guy. My wife mm-hmm. loves them. So, so I've certainly seen them, um, but I'm not a, I don't like seek out horror movies necessarily. Okay. There's some classics. I like, you know, Halloween is fantastic. Yep. Um, the shining. Ooh, well that's, done. Shining that's a, is a good, good one. one. That's well done. A lot of the newer ones I haven't seen. Like, so like I haven't seen any of the like saw movies. I have not seen the omen. I'll admit to that right now. Well, you um, have to see. I mean, the Omen to this day, I will not watch it. I'm telling you right now, it's it's for me. I don't know what it is. That that movie is scary. Do you and I aren't that far apart in age, so you were probably. I mean, you probably saw Blair Witch, right? Oh yeah, me when and my wife actually yeah. saw it when we first started. Dating, we actually went to a drive-in in the woods oh. to see Blair Witch. We, okay. we tried to get the whole thing going. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty intense. So yeah, yeah, that's one. I've been seeing some tweets about that one recently, and that's uh, you know, that that was like a game changer. So, um, yeah, th- th- those are kind of mine. Like you know, I've seen the classics, and I think you're, I think you're right with the uh, the Michael Myers as the as the. Yeah, you got to go, Michael Myers. I have, I have some really, I have some good ones coming up here in the next. You know, we got like three months, and I, I was just looking. I got some really good ones for you guys uh, moving forward. But that was just, I tried to keep it Halloween themed for a couple weeks. Uh, but I got some other, uh, some better ones for us as we move forward. Well, well, here's what's scary. So my brother in law and I actually went to downtown Kent a couple weekends ago. So it wasn't even like a weird downtown Kent weekend. It was just Kent. And we were just we were walking around and this dude drove by in a pickup truck and he was wearing the Michael Myers like outfit, like he had the mask and everything. And he just like glared at us as he drove through the intersection like that. That hits now, like that costume. I don't care. There's that, no yeah, like cliche go, about yeah. that costume. It's scary no matter what. Well, you know, it's funny. You and I were me and you and I went to Kent and that's that would be even more scary. But I can't sometimes <laughs> things that happen in Kent are just they never really ceased to amaze me at things that happened in Ken over the last, you know, so many years. So it's, uh, yeah, the Michael Myers, you, do you know that the Michael Myers is actually uh, uh, the face mask of uh, uh, William Shatner? It's actually I the mask of William Shatner. I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. So it ruins it, but it's, it's uh, <laughs> no, it's still terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Still so terrifying. I, I, I'll be interested to hear what those, uh, the other two have to say for sure. But yeah, I got some good ones coming up here in the next couple of weeks for sure. Okay, awesome. Well, that is Lance Reisland. He'll be back on Thursday to help us preview the Indianapolis Colts. We're going to take a break here on the Orange or Brown Talk podcast, and then I'm bringing it back. The NFL Playoff Committee of One. So that's coming up on the other side. Dan Lobby back here on the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. Okay, I said I was going to bring it back. It is time for the NFL Playoff Committee of One. Just a quick explainer. This is like the college football playoff committee, except it's the NFL playoff committee. It's kind of power rankings, I guess, in each conference. There aren't many rules. Uh, I have to pick one team from each division. That's really the only rule. And I can put them in any order I want, so I don't have to put the division leaders first. I can put a division leader last, like I did, spoiler alert, in, uh, in one of these divisions. So that's one rule. Another rule is this is a process. There's going to be teams that I that I love now that I don't like down the road. There's going to be teams I don't like now that I love down the road. And remember, these are my rankings. So I can put teams wherever I want for whatever reason I want. So that's what we're doing here. The NFL Playoff Committee of One. I'll give you seven teams in each conference and then the last team out. So we'll start in the AFC. I'm going to put Kansas City number one. They don't have any signature wins right now, but their only loss is to the Lions in the opener without Travis Kelsey, without Chris Jones. And I think they're only going to get better 
as Patrick Mahomes gets more and more comfortable with his receivers. That Thursday night game, I felt like Andy Reid was was treating that like a high school coach with a super talented team. He was just trying stuff. So I'm not worried about that. I think Kansas City is only going to get better. This is where I started to have trouble. I put Baltimore number two. I'm not blown away by Baltimore, but they're the only team that's been able to figure out the Browns defense, sort of. And I still think there's upside with this offense. They beat the Titans in kind of a tough game on uh, on Sunday in London. I'm not blown away by Baltimore, but I'm going to put them number two. Number three, see, this is going to be a little controversial, but I'm putting Jacksonville at number three because the Jaguars did something the Dolphins couldn't. They beat the Bills, and they've, rat- they've rattled off three wins in a row. They've got to be getting tired. They've got to turn around and play a Thursday night game after they played two games in London back-to-back and then turned around and played a game Sunday. They haven't had their bye yet. Uh, but there's something about this Jacksonville team and where they are right now. So this is the controversy, right? I've got Miami at number four. Listen, I love the Dolphins. I think they're super fun. I might have a future on Tua to lead the league in passing yards. I might have a future on Tua to win the MVP. So I might be rooting a little bit for the Miami Dolphins, but I've got them at number four. That loss to Buffalo was concerning. Uh, They have the second lowest strength of victory in the entire AFC. That means the teams that they've beaten are some of the lowest win percentage teams in the conference right now. We're going to find out about this team. That's the point here. They play at Philadelphia this week. They've got Kansas City in three weeks. So we're going to find out about this team. They'll either fly up the rankings or they'll kind of muddle here around the middle. Again, a little bit controversial here, but I'm going to put the Browns at five. They've actually had a really difficult opening five games. They had three division games. They had to play the 49ers. They did it without Deshaun Watson. They have the best defense in the NFL. They're three and two. I just like what I've seen out of the Browns, especially with this defense, which is why I have them ahead of Buffalo at number six. Now, you can argue with me about this if you want. The Bills are four and two. They beat the Dolphins. They blew out the Dolphins, but they've been really inconsistent. They have some injuries on their defense. Buffalo should probably be higher. I should probably flip these two, but again, these are my rankings. I don't care. Number seven, Pittsburgh. I don't think Pittsburgh is better than like the Bengals who beat the Seahawks. For whatever reason, I always give the Bengals the benefit of the doubt, but this team just keeps finding a way to win and win ugly. And I have Baltimore number two and they beat Baltimore. So I have to have them at least in the rankings. My first team out, how about this? The Houston Texans, they've won three of their last four. The loss was on a last second field, field goal to the Falcons. They're playing well. Their quarterback looks good. They have wins over the Jaguars and Steelers. I like the Texans. Again, just remember, these are the first rounds of rankings. These are going to change dramatically over the course of the season. Let's move to the NFC. Detroit, number one. Their only loss was a shootout against the Seahawks in week two, a desperate Seahawks team, and they've been rolling ever since. Number two, I've still got San Francisco. They've blown out the Steelers. They've blown out the Cowboys. They have a win over the Rams. That's a tricky little football team. And Sunday's loss to the Browns, it might just be good for them in the long run. So I've got San Francisco number two. Then it's Philadelphia number three. It has been really lackluster for the Eagles. Um, I came into this year thinking the Eagles were going to go to and win the Super Bowl. They just haven't really put it all together yet. They're still five and one, though. Um, Even, you know, that loss on Sunday stunk. They're still five and one. They've earned a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Dallas is number four. Are they good? Because I don't know. They bounce back. They beat the Chargers Monday night. Um, if Seattle would have beaten the Bengals, I actually probably would have Seattle in this spot. 
but they lost. And so Dallas stays ahead of them for now. And so that's where I have Seattle at number five. Every stat in Sunday's loss to the Bengals favored the Seahawks except the final score. I think this is a good team. And I think if the 49ers stumble, Seattle's going to be right there uh, to try and win that division. I don't think it's going to happen, but they're going to hang around. Number six, I'm going to go with the LA Rams. This is partially just because the NFC doesn't have very many good teams, but the Rams, they've lost to the 49ers. They've lost to the Bengals. They've lost to the Eagles. I think all three of those teams are good. So we'll go with the Rams at number six for now. And then at number seven, I had to pick somebody from the NFC South. And for now that's Tampa Bay. They could be on the brink. This is kind of Baker Mayfield. He's beaten bad teams. Great. Good for him. They got the Bills in week eight, the 49ers in week 11, and they've got the Falcons and Texans in that stretch of games too. So this team could be on the brink of falling out or who knows, maybe I'm wrong about them. My first team out, the Atlanta Falcons, their quarterback's going to keep holding them back. There's no doubt about it. I I think they're I think they have some good things. I don't know if they're a good team, but I think they do some good things. Their remaining schedule is very easy, but I don't trust Desmond Ritter. So I've got the Atlanta Falcons. I just think it speaks to how weak the NFC is after the top that Atlanta is going to be on the brink of these rankings all season long. Again, these things are going to change dramatically. Uh, If you're mad at me, hey, I don't know what to tell you. It's the playoff committee of one. Okay, thanks for listening to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Become a Football Insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up for that. Also, find us on YouTube. Search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com and find us on Instagram. Search Orange and Brown Talk. For Mary Kay and Lance, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 